Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Kedubot, daf Yud, page 10. So first of all, I just love the way that this sort of daf starts, because we're going to have a statement that sort of gives the essence of why the Ketubah was started. We're in Masachet Kedubot. You would have thought this would have been like the starting Mishnah of uh, the Masachet, but those of us who have been in our daf Yomi journey for as long as they have been, knows to expect something like this, that it's not logical how some of these things get presented. Um, and as I mentioned yesterday, when we were in the middle of a discussion of Petach Patuach Matzati, right, the idea that the husband makes a claim that the bride was not a virgin and he was expecting her to be a virgin. Uh, and it's a difficult dot. It's not a nice discussion. I think it brings back to a lot of the misogynistic overtones we think about marriage sometimes, um, or the way marriage was constructed in a different time. Uh, here, it sort of gets softened by this opening statement. Itmar, right? It was said, Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Shmuel. So Rav Nachman said in the name of Shmuel, Mishun Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. Um, and notice, this is sort of an interesting statement because it's an Amora, quoting an Amora, and a Rabbi is a Tana, quoting a Tana. So again, it's interesting. This isn't in the form of a Mishnah. Chachamim tiknu lahem no Yisrael. So the Chachamim instituted for Beno Yisrael, for the daughters of Israel, Right, that the ketuba should be 200 dinars for the bitula and 100 for the almana. Right, and the groom who wants to say is going to be believed and it causes her to lose her to lose the ketuba. She loses the money from the ketuba. So then the Gemara wants to ask. Right, if the Chachamim are going to say that we believe him, he's always Naaman when he says Petach Patuach Matzati, Maho Ilu Chachamim Bitak Natan. So then what did the Chachamim accomplish basically by making this takana? Because basically any groom could come ahead and make this claim of Petach Patuach Matzati, and we believe him, and then he gets out of having to pay his ketuba. Right. And so in other words, I, I think what the Gemara is asking is a good question, which is, okay, let's say somebody sort of just wants to sleep with a woman. He gets engaged. They go through the process. They get married. And, you know, he had his night with her. And then he just says, Patuach not only can he divorce her and he's believed, she even loses her ketubah. And so Rava answers, Amarava, Chazaka, Enadam Tarech, Betuda, Umafsida. So Rava said, no one's really going to do this, right? It's, it's a Chazaka. It's understood. No one's going to bother himself, like, you know, to prepare a wedding feast and then cause it to be lost. In other words, no one's going to spend the time and energy that is required to uh, prepare and make a wedding, right? Uh, you know, if it like just to sort of hatch a plan like this. So, yes, I think for many of us, the concept of Petak Patuach Matsati is uncomfortable. The idea of, you know, whether or not there was blood or not, it makes us uncomfortable. But again, I, I, I think the idea of having the ketubah is really there. And that, that's going to be a theme of the rest of the Masachat. The ketubah is really there to protect the woman. It's essentially a guarantee that she gets money in case it's a prenuptial agreement. That's really what it is. Um, and, you know, according to Rava, he doesn't think this is a claim that people would just make just to make to get out of the ketubah. Like somebody would really need to think hard before they wanted to make that claim. After all the preparations of getting married, this isn't something somebody would just do lightly. 
And then the Gemara goes on, and I, yeah, I'm not going to read the next part of this discussion, but just to get us used to the language that we're going to see later on in Masechet Ketubot, Tana Right, so there was a price that taught since the the collect the collecting the money of your ketubah is a knas, it's a penalty, right? In other words, notice the language. What it is, it's that when you get when you divorce your wife, you have a knas, you have a penalty that you have to pay for doing that, right? She can only collect it from the least quality of his of of his property. Okay, so we'll we'll talk about that. That's a separate discussion. But, you know, again, so I think the thing to get out of this as we sort of begin our actual discussion of the Ketubah is it's a takana to protect Benot Yisrael. We're not really worried that people would just sort of, you know, flippantly make these claims of petach patuach matzati and also that the language around Ketubah is a knas. This is a penalty for getting divorced. And this really was uh, created the Ketubah to really protect women. And it's not just virgin women. We see the almana also gets money as well if she were to be divorced. And again, we're going to see that this, that the Mishnah that's coming up at the end of the page that I know you're going to pick up again is going to talk about this, right? About the money of the of the um, of the ketubah. Um, before we get to that, the Gemara goes through, I would say, practical cases of these Petach Petuach Matzati cases, meaning there's six of them. We're not going to read them all inside, but I'm going to mention each of them because each of them addresses it in a different way. What do I mean addresses it? There's a goal here, right, to make sure that Petach Petuach Matzati, this claim by his bridegroom, is hopefully, you know, not going to wreck the marriage. That's the goal. And there's a several, as I say, six different cases here as to how this could be handled. And, you know, each, each one, most of them by Rebbe Gamliel, actually, but fine. So Can I just I'm, say something? I actually love it because the first one, well, you know, are you reading the first one? I'm reading the first one. Okay, I love the first one because I think it I love all really of- turns the whole conversation of Petach Patuach Matzati squarely on the man in an awesome way. So go read I it. Love I love the first one. And you'll see the first three are are at the, at the very least the first three are what are explanations that I had you know we recorded the previous stuff before I had prepared this part of this stuff and so I'm very glad to say there's this expression right that people say shakivanti that I was mechaven that I had you know the insight to realize that the Gemara was going to be talking about these things so here we go so a certain guy whatever has come before Rav Nachman the presumption is he's never been married. He makes his claim that his um, new virgin bride was did not have the you know he did not have the experience of her being a virgin. They say take him out and beat him. Why? Because the assumption is that he has been visiting the prostitutes. Because how else could he know? I love that- this story like in other words it's a it, it, it's so clever like there's no mistake that this is the first story here like the Chazal is basically saying if you can make this claim how should you know this because the presumption right exactly and and the Gemara goes on to talk about how you know the assumption is that this is somebody who's never been married before in the case of somebody who'd been married for you wouldn't take him out to flog him like the Gemara goes through all of that fine then we get the next case the next case, again, the guy comes this time before Rabban Gamliel and says, you know, Petach Patuach Matzati. Again, I've, it seems that she's not a virgin. 
And Rabbi Gamliel says as follows, Armele, Shema Hitita. Maybe you like were wayward or you were diverted in the way you approached her. And the com- commentary say, perhaps you were so um, involved in your own encounter here, in your own sexual encounter here, that you weren't realizing, you know, what the experience was of a petach lo patuach, right? I mean, um, that it wouldn't have, that the hymen would have been, you know, a virginal hymen. I'm sholuch mashal. He says, I'll give you a mashal. The example is, you know, somebody's walking in the blackness of the night and it's foggy, right? And he ta and he goes the wrong way. And if he doesn't go the wrong way, or in, you know, divert himself, whatever, he'll find it, the the door, whatever, locked. What does it mean? He's so forceful in his opening of the door. You'll forgive me. This is the mashal that's in the Gemara that he's not really attuned to the question of the hymen. Again, Rabbi Gamliel's point is, yo. She's fine, right? Maybe the assumption is, according to this case, right, his, his, he's hazarding a guess that the virgin bride is a virgin bride, and let's put this complaint on the man and not on the woman. Uh, the Gemara gives another one. Comes before Rebbe Gamliel by Rebbe Yehuda Nasi. And again, the same kind of complaint, right? And in this time, the, the bride has a voice, and she says... But um, Rebbe, but I am a virgin, or I was a virgin, right? And so Rebbe Gamaliel, but Rebbe Yudan Nasi says to them, "Havli sudar, haviu li oto sudar, bring me the the cloth, right, upon which you consummated the marriage." And he's able to find the drops of blood that they apparently didn't see, right? Um, you know, from the rupture of the hymen. So. And I'm curious, you know, the process that's described here, he soaks it in water, he launders it, he finds several drops of blood. Like, I'm wondering how much of this is him coming back to them and saying, oh, look, I found drops of blood, regardless of, like, what are they, minuscule that he could see them and see it and they could not. But again, the point is, this marriage it needs to continue. And it needs to continue in such a way that the, the groom has no changed opinion of the bride, right? That's an important point that the commentaries also make. Next, um, again, a similar case, right? And so what happens? They, this is one of the stranger cases of, of uh, Ketubot, and I mention it because it becomes a very famous case. So I feel like everybody should know about it, and I can't fully explain it because the science doesn't work the way we know science to work today, um, right? So the complaint is, again, that he thinks that the bride is not a virgin. And Rabban Gamliel, again, Rabban Gamliel, it's the same Rabban Gamliel, says, bring me two... Um, Shvachot, right, maidservants, one who's a virgin, one who's not a virgin, and he seats them both, each of them separately, at the opening of a barrel of wine, and he discovers from the non-virgin that you could smell the wine from her mouth, and you can't from the virgin's mouth. And, Yordane, I'm sure you have choice words to say about this from a scientific perspective, but the point here again, then he puts the bride on the barrel, and lo and behold, there's no, <coughs> I'm sorry, there's no wine scent coming from her mouth, so therefore there's a proof, hello, what is very lovely scientific proof, that um, that she was indeed a virgin. Now, I'm not sure how he got the wine scent to come from the mouth of the non-virgin, because, again, that's not how 
that's not how the body works. Yeah, I mean, the but, anatomy is not correct here. But anyhow, go on. The anatomy is not correct. But I, but as I say, like, I'm curious, like, what's happening here that Rabbi Gamliel does this action with confidence, right? And we know that there's all kinds of anatomy that the Chazal got wrong. But, but there are other times where they're explaining something in a way that kind of makes sense, even though it's not really true. This was, you know, there's no way that a non-virgin shifra who sits on a barrel of wine is suddenly going to be having a scent of wine coming from her mouth if she has not imbibed wine, right? So I'm wondering if there wasn't some knowledge here of like, oh, that non-Jewish, that non-virginal, you know, shifra liked a tipple now and again, right? Meaning, I don't know. I just, I feel, I find it very interesting that Rabban Gamaliel has the confidence to do this experiment um, to make the point again, your bride is a virgin, go home, right? And also, by the way, she shouldn't be a virgin anymore, right? Because she's just had her first wedding night. I mean, the wedding night, right? So, so she, so it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work at all, but it works to make the bridegroom feel better. Right. He doesn't seem to stop and say, wait a minute, hang on. Like, yeah, how did there's something to be said that all of these stories resolve in she was a virgin. Like there's not and there, none of the stories are the opposite. And I think, again, it's to emphasize the claim of Petah Patuach Matsati is not one that should be made frivolous, frivolously and also was not usually actually founded. Okay, this next one else is very interesting, and I'm I don't even need to go through all the details again, except for that the the woman says that she's from Mishpachat Dorkti, Dorkti, sorry, and Mishpachat Dorkti apparently did not menstruate; they did not bleed at the rupture of the hymen. The question of how they manage fertility is an interesting one. Presumably, they weren't as fertile as the next family over. Um, but the moment she says that, they're like. Oh, okay then. Meaning then we know that you don't bleed because you don't bleed because you're from the family that has this genetic weirdness and you don't bleed. And that works, right? Again, virgin. And lastly, right before the Mishnah, we've got another case where, again, the same claim, the same concern. And the Gemara points out that this took place. You know, again, she says she's a virgin. She articulates it, right? And the Gemara says, Ushnei This was during the years of the drought. And Rabbi Yudha Nasi saw that their faces were shorim. It says it was black. What does it mean, black? I guess haggard, really, not the color. I don't know how black, literally, um, but that that they were that it was clear from you know from hunger from from the from the years of drought that they didn't have enough food. And so what he does is he says, you know, go, you know, take care of these people, right? Give them, bathe them, and feed them, and give them something to drink, right? And then later the couple sleeps together, and lo and behold they find blood, right? Why? Because during the time of famine, um, uh, again, I don't know why this would have an impact on the hymen, but it certainly could have an, you know, poor nutrition could have an impact on menstruation, certainly. Uh, But the point is, again, there's this external circumstance that explains why there was even a complaint to begin with. None of these, as you said, Yordana, not one of these cases ends up with any investigation, (coughs) excuse me, any investigation into the activities of the woman. Yeah. So, you know, as I said yesterday, I, I thought you, you sort of can't lose Tet. You can't learn Tet without learning Yud. Um, and I think Yud in a way really helps the discussion that we find on Tet right, and, and gives us a much better context of how this was used. Um, I'm going to jump down now. We have a Mishnah 
right? Uh, so we saw this at the top of the top in the, that statement that was quoted, right? That a virgin, her ketubah is 200 man, uh, man, dinars, a man, you know, 200 mana, and an almana is one mana, which is 100 dinars. Bitula almana grusha v'chalutza min hayerusin ketubah tan ma'atayim v'yesh lahem ta'anat bitulim. And a virgin, right, who is a widow, a divorcee or a chalutza, um, who got that status from a rusin, in other words, these are marriages that get ended before the supposed consummation of the marriage, meaning after, but not after Nisuin. Um, and so uh, they didn't, but you still have to get a get. They always get a ketubah of 200, um, but they're also, and, and there's, there's uh, 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 we there's Tana'ab In other words, there's, we always assume that their virginity is intact. Nobody's allowed to come say later, well, because they had a Rusin done, you know, later on, they weren't found to be a virgin, let's say, in a, in a subsequent relationship. Gemara has a fascinating discussion here, right? My almana, right? Where does the word almana come from? And it basically explains that almana comes from al-shemana, that the, an almana is a person who gets a mana from her ketubah, right? And then it wants to say, wait, but we just said almana min ha'irusin, my ekelamemar, right? How, what do we, because there we just said that if the almana has a rusin from has a roost in there, she gets 200. So how could you say that? Um, right, so the Gemara says, they just call her an almana because this is, you know, she gets the, uh, uh, from the, you know, the one from the standard ketubah, uh, she gets a mana, so they call her an almana. But now the Gemara asks a fascinating question. This we know, the ketubah is a rabbinic takana. And the words almana appears in the Torah itself. So it says, almana dichtiva oraita my If you're saying the words almana is because of this rabbinic takana, how could this word be used in the Torah itself, right? This should have been a word that only started to be used in the time of the rabbis. So what they answer is, is that essentially the Torah used this term sort of to show that in the future, right, the, the, the rabbis were going to institute the mana, that in other words, in the future, the ketubah was going to be, uh, was going to be uh, put in place, right? Right, and so then they said, what's the verse uh, for the future, right? In, yes, we know that it is, and it's in uh, Bereshit uh, chapter two, verse 14. In other words, where's this idea that sometimes there are things in the Torah that are written about the future, right? And so what does it say? They quote this pasuk that says, V'shem nahar kidmat ashor. They're describing the, the rivers that were in Gan Eden, and the third river is called the Tigris, which goes east of Ashur. But the issue is, is that, right, V'tana Rav Yosef, Ashur zos leka, right? Ashur is, 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 uh, is Sleika, and that city didn't exist when the world was created. Umay have it, right? So how could this have been written? Ella da'atida, it's about the future. Hachanami da'atida. So based on this pasuk in Bereshit, which mentions a city that didn't exist till later on, there's a precedent that there can be words in the Torah that are referring to future events. Um, I think, to me, I think this drasha is here because the ketubah was such an innovation to marriage. They need, and we'll see this, it appears in other places, they want to connect it and say that it's actually a deoraisa. I mean, 
think about what it's, it's, it's a huge monetary penalty. And the idea that there's a prenup put in place, it really changed the construct of marriage as it appears in the Torah. And so I think what Chazal does is, is they try to sort of make either through a, a drusha here or by quoting other psukim to be like, no, 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 really the ketubah, it has a derisive precedent to it because it's almost them acknowledging how innovative it was, what they actually did. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, especially since we know that there was like a halachic decree at a certain point in time by a certain person. Like, it seems it's to give something the authority of the Doraita when there is that like genesis of a genesis, meaning like we know the origins of how this decree came about is a little bit puzzling. Yeah, but I but again, I think it, it, it's I think it's Chazal acknowledging they know how how innovative this was. This was a huge takana. This wasn't like a little takana. I mean, think about it. It affected every marriage, you know? Meaning so that they had to establish it. I mean, isn't this then just an asmachta, but they're saying that it's not just an asmachta. They're saying Which makes it the, the most powerful asmachta. Right. I think that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this app and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.